one more time, good morning. <laughs> it's a pleasure uh, to be with you this morning, and I just want to, before I begin, uh, just extend a word of gratitude uh, for you, for this congregation. Your faithful giving uh, to Resonate allows us to support the work of church planting, and I just want you to know and, and to appreciate with me that God is starting new churches in British Columbia that you support in Fort Saskatchewan, Alberta, in Edmonton, in Manitoba, and Winnipeg, and several communities throughout Ontario, including Ajax, Niagara Falls, and Thorold. So through your generosity, we're able to plant new churches and reach new people for Christ. So thank you for that. It is a pleasure uh, to open the word this morning. And I understand um, that you've been journeying through the Psalms. And I get the privilege of kind of bringing this time in the Psalms uh, to a close. And I enjoy this book, and I enjoy this book so much because of the way in which the Psalms invite us uh, to come before God with emotional honesty. However we find ourselves this morning, the Psalms have a way of speaking the language of the soul inviting us uh, to bear our souls before God, however and whatever condition our souls are in, to express the deep desires and longings of our hearts. There are plenty of psalms that, that seem to even challenge God directly and voice complaint in his direction. A variety of human emotion is encapsulated throughout this book of Psalms. And, you know, given the kind of world we live in today, given the kind of lives that we live and the variety of experiences that we have, and, and perhaps as we look ahead to a, a new school year, a new fall season, there's a variety of things stirring on us this morning. Perhaps there's fears and worries. Uncertainties about the future weigh heavy on us. Perhaps there's grief and sadness. Perhaps there's joy and anticipation. Perhaps there's lament, deep sadness. However, we find ourselves this morning, uh, this book of Psalms has a way of just mapping itself onto our lives and inviting us into that kind of honesty. And so it's really with that kind of posture that we're going to engage Psalm 91 this morning. So let me read it for us. Psalm 91, you who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, 
The Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you. No scourge come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Those who love me I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. This is God's word. Let me just pray for us uh, before I begin. Father, we thank you for this portion of the Psalms, this Psalm 91, and as we've read it and now we take a few moments to ponder and reflect and engage this psalm, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to our hearts, and that we would hear your voice. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So notice with me that this psalm uh, begins with a very personal declaration. A personal declaration of the psalmist, a, a declaration of trust. And this declaration comes in these opening couple verses in, in two sets of four, four images and four names attached to those images. Now let me draw our attention to these images. Notice with me in verse one. We have, we have these two images for security, for safety. First, this image of a shelter. A shelter is a place uh, to hide, a place to be concealed, uh, particularly a place to run to when there's threats and dangers around, dangerous circumstances, dangerous people. A shelter provides a place of concealment. Then there's this other image of a shadow. Uh, the word could also be translated a shade. Anyone who's traveled through the desert, anyone who knows the oppressive heat of the sun, knows the relief that can come from finding a place in the shadows or in the shade. And then notice with me the names that are given uh, for God attached to these images. First, the Most High is the one who is the shelter. And secondly, it's the Almighty who provides the shadow and the shade. Both these words, the Most High, the Almighty, they're kingly terms. So the psalmist begins declaring that, that God is king. And as king, he is a place of shelter, a place that provides shade. Verse 2 continues and just adds to this opening declaration of trust. There's this image of a refuge, a place of safety. A place you run to when life overwhelms you. And then there's this image of a fortress. Really a, a military sort of image. A place that you run into and, and there's, there's protection. There's a strong defense to keep you safe from the assault of the enemy. And notice that it's the Lord, it's Yahweh, who is the refuge from the storms. It's my God, the psalmist declares, who is the fortress, the place of protection. 
And in this opening declaration of trust, the psalmist is in inviting us to personal sort of invitation to declare our own trust, to take the psalmist's own declaration of trust and to take it so that it would become our own declaration of trust this morning. It's an invitation of the psalmist to, to put our trust in the same place that the psalmist has found to be trustworthy, to take hold of these images, these names, and, and to make them our own. And so it's an invitation to each one of you this morning, in person watching online, an invitation to you, you who need a shelter, would you come and find the Most High to be your shelter? You who need the shade and the shadow of a king in the midst of the storms of life, that you would come and find that shadow and shade in your king this morning. You who need a refuge as the storms rage around you or inside you, a place to run to, you who need a fortress, a strong place, a place of protection and safety. The invitation is for the psalmist's declaration to become your own this morning. And this is an invitation not of someone who has all of life figured out, it's an invitation of someone who's, who's discovered where the safety and protection is to be found, where to go to when life threatens, when the dangers assail us. And then as we read the rest of the psalm, it seems that this psalm makes a number of promises. A number of promises of protection, of safety, of deliverance. In the face of the dangers and troubles that life brings. And I just want to invite our honesty this morning. How do we make sense of the kinds of promises that we find in Psalm 91? In the kind of world that we find ourselves in, In the face of the troubles that life can bring, how do we take hold of these promises? What, what do we make of them? Let me go a step further and even ask this question, how can this psalm be true? And how can we declare it to be true? the central question I want us to wrestle with this morning. And before we get to that question, I, I want to allow Psalm 91 to open our eyes to the dangers and threats and troubles that life brings. Because Psalm 91 does that. Uh, this psalm in verses 3 through 13 provides almost a catalog of different types of dangers and threats. Dangers that leave us vulnerable like an animal that's been being hunted. Dangerous diseases that assault us and assault people we love. 
dangers that, that threaten us as if we're a small bird that gets ensnared and has to run for shelter under its mother's wings. Dangers that can feel like a warrior with a large shield, the kind of dangers that kind of warrior would face in battle on the battlefield. The psalmist even seems to suggest that there's invisible things that assault us even at night, plagues that stalk us and strike us and take us down. Enemies that attack many who fall. A dangerous path that we walk down, one, one wrong step, and we could find ourselves in desperate trouble. Even threatening creatures that lurk in the canyons, striking fear as we navigate our way through life. Psalm is rich in images for the types of dangers and troubles and assaults that we find in life. The world, according to Psalm 91, is a dangerous place. The dangers are many. They come at the daytime. They come at night. They come from many sources, human and non-human sources. They assail us from every side and every possible angle. And sometimes it feels like they just squeeze us and hem us in. And life can feel desperate. Let's just pause for a few moments. Where does Psalm 91 find you this morning? I just want to invite you to take a moment and take a brief inventory of what's going on inside your heart and mind this morning. What, what dangers, what threats are assailing you? Perhaps they're financial. The pressure builds and inflation rises. The cost of living grows. Perhaps they're physical as your body or the body of someone you love is struggling to cope with the ailments assaulting it. Perhaps it's emotional turmoil cascading inside of you. Take a moment. Where does Psalm 91 find you? Let's return again to the world of Psalm 91. And notice with me that alongside this, this catalog of, of dangers and threats, there's this thread that weaves its way through the psalm that keeps resounding and resonating through it. He will deliver you. He will cover you. Under his wings you can hide. You will not fear. It will not come near you. No evil shall befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. He will even command his angels to protect you. On their hands they will bear you up. And then these last few verses of Psalm 91, there, there's a shift it's, it's, a, it's, it's personal, it's intensified in the language 
Notice all the I statements. Let me read it for us again. Those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. In some ways, it just intensifies the question that we're wondering about this morning. How do we understand these promises to be kept safe? Because if we're honest, life doesn't always play out in a way that seems to match what Psalm 91 is suggesting. How can Psalm 91 be true in a world like ours? About a month ago, I was in a small town in the middle of Guyana, a country in northern South America. A village that lost 20 children to a fire two months ago. And I felt helpless, as our team did, just sitting with the community, traumatized in deep grief. kind of world we inhabit. How can Psalm 91 be true in a world like that? Well, let me begin to not skirt around the question, but, but go straight at the question. And let me begin by, by suggesting this morning how, how not to understand Psalm 91, and then we'll talk about how we do therefore understand it. So how do we not understand this psalm? Psalm 91 is, is not some kind of magical formula that if we just recite it enough, if we just pray it over our families with enough faith, that somehow it will ward off bad things from happening. It just doesn't work that way. And I remember at the time pastoring Maple Ridge Christian Reformed Church during the COVID-19 pandemic, I remember hearing teachers who claimed to represent the Christian faith talking about this psalm in that way. As if Psalm 91, if we, if we prayed it hard enough, if we believed it strong enough, that somehow it would ward off the virus from finding its way into our homes and families. I think perhaps because it has twice in this psalm this language of a pestilence and a plague that it, it kind of drew some attention to some people. But Psalm 91, not just Psalm 91, the Bible all the verses in it are not some magical incantations that if we just say it right or if we just have enough faith that bad things won't happen to the people we love, it does not work that way. 
In fact, I, I want to say it even stronger. The Bible makes it clear that God's people, we, we have an enemy. And one of the terms that the Bible will use to describe our enemy is the, the Satan, the Satan. And, and Satan would love it if we thought of Psalm 91 this way, as some kind of magical amulet. Now, why would I put it that way? Let me, let me explain what I mean. In Luke chapter 4, we read about how Satan tempts Jesus in the wilderness. And what's striking is Satan cites Psalm 91 in the process of trying to tempt Jesus. At one point, he tempts Jesus to throw himself down from the highest point of the temple. And then he says, quoting Psalm 91, For it's written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan's trying to take Jesus off his mission. Don't go to the cross. Don't suffer. Don't do what you came to earth to accomplish. If God really loved you, God wouldn't let you suffer. That's what Psalm 91 says, or so Satan claims. And it's a great strategy. I mean, if Satan can convince us to believe that no really, really awful things will happen to Christians who have strong enough faith. If, if Satan can convince us to believe that that's in fact what Psalm 91 is promising, we just pray it enough times or loud enough or strong enough, no disaster will come near your tent. No, no harm will befall you, right? And if we believe that, that when really, really awful things happen to you or to people you love, and eventually they will, you have every reason to pull away from God. See, God's promises don't work. I can't trust God anymore. And in fact, as a pastor, I've seen that happen more times than I'd like to admit over the years. Awful things happen. People pull away. Feels as if God can't be trusted anymore. So how do we understand Psalm 91? How can it still be true? And I do believe it's still true. So let me make that very clear. You know, if Psalm 91 was the only portion of the Bible we had, I think honestly it would be difficult to know what to do with it. But it's not the only part of the Bible we have. So I want to bring two other passages of Scripture to bear into this conversation and to help round out and help us make sense of the promise I believe is for us in this psalm. And the first is from the book of Genesis, chapter 50, verse 20. It's embedded in this story of Joseph. 
And if you know that story, the story of Joseph is a story that, that, that's filled with really hard things. Joseph is abused. Joseph is ridiculed by his own family. He's beaten by his brothers. He's left to die. He's enslaved. He's falsely accused of sexual assault. He's thrown in jail as a result. So a lot of bad things happen to Joseph, needless to say. But yet look at what he can say later on in his life as he confronts his brothers with all the awful things that they did to him. He says this, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. How is Joseph able to declare such trust, such faith? To be sure, uh, Joseph likely did not have that perspective as he was lying in the pit that his brothers threw him in to die. Or as he was languishing in the Egyptian jail. But what happened throughout his life, through all the awful things that he experienced, what did he notice? What was his testimony? His testimony was that God kept him safe, not by protecting him from these awful things. But God kept him safe in the awful things, through the awful things that happened. When he was left to die, when he was sold into slavery, when he was thrown into jail, it was in and through the awful things that happened that he experienced God's presence and protection. Another verse to consider is Romans 8.28. We know, Paul says, that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now notice what Paul's saying. Is Paul saying that, that all things are good? Paul's not so shallow or so, so naive to say that. Many awful things happen to people who love God. Many things happen that make no sense. Many things happen that hurt us deeply. A small village of Madia in Georgetown. It's not the only place in the world where God's people gather in the face of unspeakable tragedy and wonder how to make sense of it all. I'm a visiting preacher. I don't know your stories. But I've been a pastor long enough to know that in a room this size, there's got to be someone here this morning who knows exactly what I'm talking about. Life has struck hard, taking the wind out of you. And it doesn't make sense. See, we're not promised protection from awful things happening. I, I don't believe that's what Psalm 91 is trying to offer us this morning. Trust in a God that, that if you just believe in Him enough, He'll keep you safe from all the bad stuff. 
No, it's something far greater than that. It's a God who offers to protect us in and through the painful and awful things. And Paul's perspective seems to be pointing in this direction that, that, that God is bringing his power to bear so that in the long run, at the end of history, all things will somehow have moved in the direction of our good. Most of us won't see it in our lifetime. Some of us maybe get a few glimpses. But many of us won't get that either. And there are times in life where Romans 8.28 is probably one of the last verses that you will want someone to read to you. Particularly in the moment of inexplicable suffering. But imagine the day. The day where the biblical story points us to. The end of history. Where heaven and earth are one. Where all is healed and made well. Where evil and suffering is, is vanquished forever. And our king returns in glory. It's a bit of what Paul's getting at in Romans 8. Imagine that day. The, the creation is groaning and longing for that day. It's in the birth pangs of this day coming forward and breaking in. And imagine when it comes in its fullness. We're able to look back, testify to the stunning in surprising ways that God has brought his power to bear on all the awful things so that they move together in the direction of our good and God's glory. I think it's only in light of the whole story that we can make sense of Psalm 91. So you can pray Psalm 91. And I'm not trying to discourage you from praying the song. <laughs> but you can pray it till you're blue in the face. And someone in your family could die a tragic death. And if that happens, it's not because... But this I know, and I believe it deep in my bones... Even when words fail, even when I sit with mothers and fathers who've lost their children in a fire, God promises to keep us and those we love safe in and through whatever sufferings may yet come. And even if life does its worst and takes people we love from us, 
that even then, and may I say especially then, the words of Psalm 91 are true. Where else will we run to? What other place will we find shelter and refuge and protection from? And I was humbled and overwhelmed to the point of weeping to be in this community a month ago and hear their testimonies of faith. They didn't know where to turn. But they were holding on to the God of Psalm 91. That somehow, his wings would be a safe place to find shelter in. That somehow he would provide rest and refuge. That somehow he would give them strength to go through the inexplicable suffering they found themselves in. And I found my own strength, my own faith strengthened and deepened. And I was also reminded as I came home of another story only a few countries away in South America. The year was 1956. Five missionaries from the United States in their 20s landed on the shores of Ecuador. And they came to bring the gospel to the indigenous peoples in that area. And those indigenous people killed those five missionaries. Clearly, they were not kept safe from harm. And their families were not protected from awful suffering. Yet one of their widows, Elizabeth Elliot, wrote a memoir about her husband, Jim Elliot, one of the missionaries who was killed. And she had the courage to name those memoirs Shadow of the Almighty. Words from Psalm 91. With deep faith, she grabbed hold of those words and promises of this psalm. And though it could appear to, to outside observers that if there's anyone whose life and death seemed to disprove the promises of this psalm, surely it would have been her. But Elizabeth Elliot knew and she held tightly to the hope that even as her husband died and even as she faced a long road of suffering, that her husband and her family had not left protection of God's shadow. In fact, she would testify that her husband Jim was as safe and secure in the presence of the Almighty than he could ever possibly be in this life. She held out the hope. And she's lived it out through her life that the same God who holds her husband in the shadow of his wings would hold her and her family in the shadow of his wings in and through the road of suffering and grief that they would have to journey down. Friends, this is the promise we have in Psalm 91. A God that will walk with us in and through whatever life would bring.
provide shelter and safety and protection. John Calvin puts it this way. People generally seek out a great variety of hiding places. True back when he wrote it, very true today. A great variety of hiding places. Where will you hide when hard things come your way? And Calvin goes on to say this, but the only safe and impregnable fortress to which we can betake ourselves is the protection of Almighty God. Friends, this is the ultimate invitation of Psalm 91 to us this morning. When life assails us, when troubles come, when dangers surround us, who will you run to? Where will your hiding place be? At the end of the day, that's a personal question. And it's a personal invitation that Psalm 91 leaves with us this morning. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this psalm and all of its wonderful imagery. For the psalmist's declaration of trust and faith. And we thank you, God, for for those who go before us who have modeled a life of trust in you even when hard, inexplicable things come. So God, with the testimony of your word this morning, with the testimony of brothers and sisters who've gone before us, with the testimony of brothers and sisters from other parts of the world, deepen and strengthen our own faith this morning. That as we find ourselves here at the start of another month, the fall of 2023, a world, lives filled with profound uncertainties, and many threats. Would we be able to take hold for ourselves, God? The declaration of trust that we find in Psalm 91 and truly believe and live as if it's true that whatever would come, that you, God, will be our shelter and our shadow in and through all the dangers that assail us? Would we find refuge under your wings and in your presence? Most high, God, almighty, Lord, Savior, King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.